Anybody notice something that's missing? Kevin noticed. Yes. Ryan Green. We allow him once every 10 years to miss church. And now he may never come back. <laughs> no, actually, uh, Ryan yesterday and Ryan and uh, a friend Luke uh, left. Uh, Stephen is leaving tonight uh, at 7 o'clock. Andrew and Jonathan leave tomorrow, right? Morning or? Yeah, morning. And they're all going to Europe. Yeah, yep, Eurocon. So our church, uh, our ministry has a conference uh, in Budapest, Hungary, or somewhere over there uh, every year for the European churches. And usually a large group uh, goes uh, to those conferences. So there'll be, what, what, Jonathan, probably like 1,200 people, 1,000 people. Something like that there. Uh, pastors and people from Poland, Romania, um, France, Germany. I mean, just everywhere they're going to be there. Uh, so uh, before Andrew goes to Eurocon, I don't know what he's doing at Eurocon. I don't know. Is he, are you allowed to go there? There's an Indocon coming up, right? <laughs> yeah, so we just wanted to have Andrew just give us a little introduction, so please welcome him. Thank you, Pastor Dennis. I love you in spite of all your weird humor. <laughs> yeah, um, let's see. What a, what a great day. I haven't seen anything. <laughs> yeah. What a nice, great day we have here, huh? Potluck and uh, great to see all your wonderful faces. Yesterday, Pastor Dennis asked me if I could do a short intro and um, I was just thinking about what I should talk about, and um, the whole night I had nothing, and I woke up and I was so grateful for Pastor Dennis, because he does this every week, right? He, he studies and he hears from, what, from God about what, what God has to say to the people, and he shepherds, shepherds the people, and he has so much love in his heart for all of everyone here, and that's awesome, and I just woke up with like so much respect for him today. So this is just a little appetizer for what is to come, what he's going to preach about, but if you'd open your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. And just to give you a little context of this, this chapter, right? Um, Israel is at war with Syria. They are constantly at war. Uh, Syria goes in and they keep raiding Israel. And when they raid Israel, they don't just take possessions and money and goods, but they take children and women too, right? So this is a little, little context of the chapter, right? And verse 1, we see... Naaman, a commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor with the king because the Lord had given him victory. And he was a mighty man of valor. So we see that we have this, this commander, right? His name is Naaman. He's commander of the Syrian army. And he is high favor with the king because, the king is, because he has won a lot of victories for, for the king of Syria. And then it says, but he was a leper. Right? That word but there is like, you know, like you, someone builds someone up all the time. You go for a job interview and um, 
They say, oh, you're great. Like, you, you did such a great job. You're so skilled in this area. But unfortunately, we're not looking for someone in that position. Right? I remember this one time I went up and I asked a girl out. And, and she started with complimenting me. And I was like, wow, this is going really well. <laughs> and, and, then, and then she said, but. And I was like, oh, man. You know? So, like, it's a way to soften the blow. But here we see that Naaman is the commander in the Syrian army, right? He has everything. Second in command to the king, right? He has everything that wealth could give him. But he has something that no amount of money, no amount of victories, no amount of wives could even touch, right? He has leprosy, right? And he, he could put on this big armor and go out to battle, right? His head was covered, big, big armor on. He could cover himself with a nice fancy robe, right? But when he went home that night and he looked at himself in the mirror, he knew that he was a leper, right? And uh, leprosy was a really terrible disease back then. It's, I think it's more curable now, but like back then there was no cure. It was an incurable disease, right? It was very slow, but like it was certain. Like you would start by losing your fingernails and then the joints would like, your fingers would just pop off. You'd lose your nose and like the hair off your face. And it was, it was very, very like bad back then. And it was easily spread, right? So this, I was thinking of the story and the picture of Naaman's leprosy, like his body was leprous and how that's a great picture of our heart today, right? The Bible says that we were all shaped in iniquity. We were all conceived in sin. And we all have this incurable disease in our heart. And it's sin, right? And just like Naaman would go to the king, and the king would say, um, well, I, I can't really cure you, but I can give you wives. I can give you money. I can give you a drug that would make you forget that you had it. But like, he couldn't cure him. right? And like, like, like that, we can go to the world, and the world says they have nothing to cure us with. right? So it's incurable disease. Like we can, we can have a drug that will make us help us forget the pain we're in, but then we go home and when the drug wears out, we look at ourselves in the mirror and we know that we have this incurable disease, right? And I, I, like, I like what happens, right? So remember we talked about this little, this little um, I mean, they would bring in slaves, right? Women and children. So this is how God ordains things in, in Naaman's life, right? Next verse. Now the Syrians in one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Right? This little slave girl, she's torn away from her family, torn away from her mother. Her mother probably cried bitterly. Her father probably vowed that he would go and get her back. Right? This little girl is, I can't imagine how hard it is for this little girl. Like she's in the middle of a, an unknown country, away from her family, maybe 12, 13 years old. But she seems to understand that God put her there that God is providing for her, and that she's there for a purpose, right? And she says to her mistress, she says, she says, would my Lord go to the prophet in Samaria? He would cure him of his leprosy, right? That's methods of evangelism 101, right? She just opened him out and she said a word. She saw a need, she opened him out and she said a word. Do you know how hard it was to open him out and say a word as a slave? One wrong word and she could have been killed. They didn't care. Right? But she opens her mouth and she says a word. And Naaman probably heard, tried all of this before. He tried everything that the doctors prescribed. He tried every ointment, right? Everything else. But like, for some reason, what this girl said was different. Why? She was in the middle of adversity, but she had a message of hope, right? And for him, that was like a, like a breath of fresh air, 
right? So Naaman, Naaman, long story short, Naaman goes to Elisha, the prophet that the little girl talked about. And Elisha says, go wash your feet in the Jordan seven times and you, your flesh will be restored and you will be clean. And there's a lot of that in, in the middle of the story and we could talk about that. But long story short, Naaman goes and he dips himself. And I love this verse and this is what I want to end with. Verse uh, 10. And he goes and he washes seven times. Sorry, verse 14. And he does everything that was spoken and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Right? Remember Naaman, not only was he a leper, which means he had scars all over his body, like all this stu stuff was falling off his body, right? He is like sores, but like also he's a man of war, remember? Like he was, he was a man of battle, and like he probably was scarred and bruised, right? And beat up, but, but here's, here it says, his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. Like God practically gives him a new body, right? So we see the leprous body turn into a new body, and we talked about the leprous body, how that was a picture of the leprous heart, right? Guess what? Today we have the old heart, right? We have the old heart that is, has an incurable disease. It has a big hole in the center of it that nothing can satisfy. We fill it with things, but nothing satisfies it, right? It's a heart that is contrary to the things of God. It does not submit to God's life, right? But then what does God do the moment we believe? Ezekiel 36, 26. He gives us a new heart, right? Because the old heart cannot be, cannot be mended. It's like, it's like covering the old heart with a robe and an armor. It doesn't, it doesn't cure what's inside of it, right? So God, what does God do? He gives us a new heart. And the new heart is after God, right? The Bible talks so much about the new heart. I have a whole sheet of things that are talking about the new heart. But the, it says the, the, it's, it's a pure heart, right? It's a tender heart. It's a heart of flesh. It's not a heart of stone like the old heart. Because a heart of stone receives the word from God and it bounces right off, right? But a heart of flesh soaks it in, it receives it, right? It's a heart that is able to receive what God wants to say. It's a healed heart, like in the case of Naaman, completely healed. It's a revived heart, right? It's the cure to the uncurable disease. And I like to think of this little girl. Like, like this little girl, God places us in, in these places, right? Maybe it's in, in adversity. Maybe we look around and we're like, what the heck, God? You know? But, but God, says, God says, I want you there because you had the incurable disease and I cured you with a new heart. And now, now people ask you, how do you have joy in the midst of your situation? You say, well, let me tell you. If you go to my God, he will cure you. Right? The girl, the girl did not say, if you go to Elisha, he may heal you or he may give you a remedy or he may see you. He said, he will cure you. And that's the remedy we have right today. This, you know, we have a new heart and we can operate in that new heart and we can be sensitive to the things of God. It's not contrary to the things of God. It's sensitive to things of God. Amen. Hey, wasn't that good? So how many of you guys know that you have a new heart? Yeah, some of you know it, but you're like questioning it, you know? <laughs> That's true, isn't it? That's, that's true. Hey, uh, so maybe uh, just for a couple minutes, since you're at tables, you know, like a cool church, with a cup of coffee, just uh, why don't you talk with your neighbor for a few minutes about um, Andrew's 
message. <laughs> on a event on Thursday night, I think uh, Aaron was talking a little bit about the same thing. It was really funny. He wasn't even here. You know, talking about Naaman and like, or maybe it was a couple of Thursdays. I don't remember. It was recent. Like that, that kind of stirs up like questions. Like, what happened to the slave girl? Like somebody was wondering because she basically like saved his life. Yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to get to heaven. I'm convinced that. Well, I th I'm convinced that, that there's gonna be like a movie theater in heaven where you could like rewind these stories and like watch it, like in 5D. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, well, especially since it's in the Bible, you know, like it's very biblical. It's gonna be so much fun. To meet Naaman, and somebody was saying the other day, like Elisha ministered more to people who were not Jewish. I don't think he ministered to anybody that was Jewish. He was all non-Jewish people that he did the miracles for. I can't remember, but Naaman was one of them. He's not Jewish, you know. Why not heal somebody that's Jewish, a child of God, versus a heathen? <laughs> Yeah. And we don't read that he worshiped God, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 There'll be a lot of good storytelling, a lot of good, uh, you know, table talks with people, dinner. I love that scene in in, uh, in Chosen, where Jesus oh, Jesus is in the Decapolis and preaching, and like one of the things that he says that shocks everybody is that the Gentiles would be seated with Abraham, Jacob, and Isaac, yeah. and like all the Pharisees were like, ripping him. Oh, you can't see that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like so good. So it's what would be like? You're sitting with Abraham, and I had to pass the falafels. Okay. Hey, praise God. That was that was a good word, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it was worth a clap. All right, uh, I'm looking at my clock. Okay. All right, let's uh Open our Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 17, and some of you probably know where I'm going with this. And um... <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's an interesting passage, and I, I want us to approach it uh, with a, with a light heart um, because we're not a ministry that takes a Bible and uh, beats you over the head, you know, not usually at least. Yeah. We're going to start today. <laughs> no, um, but the Bible has a lot to say about um, our depravity, right? I mean, in, the in theology, we call it human depravity. 
Uh, we believe that man uh, inside of themselves without God is totally depraved. Okay. Some people would disagree with that. C.S. Lewis would disagree with that, you know, but he's not here to argue with him, so. And if he were, I'd probably still lose because he's a smart guy. But uh, when we open the Bible, and Jeremiah 17.9 is one of those verses that we open to to really talk about our condition without God. So I'd like us to open our Bibles there. Yeah. Hey, what's coming up in a couple couple weeks or more? Easter, yeah. We've got these amazing postcards. Uh, we're going to have some for you guys to take home and hand out to your neighbors. They're really cool. And uh, we're actually mailing out, I think, a thousand of these in the neighborhood in the Frederick area. So maybe somebody will come to church from a postcard. It'll be good. Somebody on Thursday night came to our church. Uh, they heard about us from the worship night on, uh, on Instagram. They couldn't make it. And then somebody handed them a track. I think uh, it was Andrew and, St- and Stephen, right? Handed them a track last Saturday. And in walks this guy and this girl and a little, little kiddo. I'm like, what are you doing here? Who are you? Do we know you? And they're like, no, you don't. How would you find this place? It was great, you know. So God only knows uh, how these seats can be filled. <laughs> I'm still asking that question, Becca. <laughs> Gave you the wrong address, you know. You're still here. <laughs> Jeremiah 17. Let's just start. Um, yeah, let's start. Uh, maybe we can start in verse 5. It says, Thus says the Lord, Curse is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when the good comes, and he shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed is the man. I mean, what, what is Jeremiah here talking about? This isn't really a part of the message, but he is really contrasting the heart of a man who has forgotten who God is. And uh, what happens to a person who has forgotten God is, and I love the word picture there, that he is like a shrub in a desert, and he doesn't even see good when it comes. Right? And I love what Andrew was saying, like the world can offer many things to solve the issue, but in reality they cannot solve it. They can only, you know, uh, sublimate our issues. So we all have this, you know, God-sized hearts. You know, some scholars say, I've heard it said, we all have this God-sized heart uh, hole in our hearts. And what is it designed for? But it is designed for God. And if God is not there, then what happens is that we are like this tree. We are like this shrub, and we find ourselves without. But we find ourselves so busy, don't we? Like maybe Naaman was seeking many things to fill that spot. I mean, Solomon, uh, you know, Ecclesiastes is all about Solomon who was a man of God, who had God, who had the wisdom of God, yet was seeking for all these things to fill that spot in the hearts. Then verse 7 says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. You know, that opposing idea, whose hope is in the Lord. For he shall be like a tree that is planted by the waters, which spreads out by the roots of the river. 
So he's making a clear distinction between a man who trusts in God and a man who does not. And then he goes into verse 9, and it's something that is very hard for us to hear. But verse 9, it says this. It says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? <laughs> We've been talking about how to hear God the past couple weeks. And the parable of the sower from Luke chapter 8 was really our, our, uh, our launching pad on this topic at the end of it, it really says that the, the, the one that produces fruits, or the one that hears, is one who has, and Luke says it this way, in Luke 8, I believe, verse 15, it says that he has a honest and a good heart. They are two very opposing ideas, and what I want to try to do is I want to tackle those two ideas and say in our lives that there is this deceitfulness, yet it is still possible for me to have a condition of my heart where I'm able to receive from God so that way I can grow with God. Because the rest of the story, right, in Luke chapter 8 is about different seeds falling on grounds and, you know, to sum it up, they were, they were people who were not able to hear God, they were not able to hear his words, and therefore they were not able to grow with God. And you know what number one that God is concerned with, and it is also our concern here, is that the, you walk in here today and you leave, you know, that you're not the same person. We want you to leave changed. We want you to meet God today. But imagine you come again, and you come again, and you keep coming, and then for you to be in this church and to be in this church for two years, we've been here almost two years now, you know, this summer, July is two years, uh, almost two years, and for you not to grow and for you not to be changed, it means that maybe there is something wrong with your heart. I'm just thinking about these words, deceitful and wicked, and it is actually... These are hard words. Uh, wicked meaning that it is feeble. It is distressed beyond all things. And the reason why that it is so distressed is because of the wickedness that is in its heart. That's the condition. And, you know, here Jeremiah isn't talking to unsaved people. He is talking to, to the children of God. He's talking to the chosen people. And actually, look at the first word that he uses. He used deceitful. Listen to what this word means and see if you can jump to the conclusion that I came to. It says, it means striving to, uh, to avail itself of every favorable circumstance. The root meaning of this word means to supplant. So this word deceitfulness means that I strive and I'm availing, I am spending all of my energy for what? To produce a favorable circumstance of my own, and the, and the quote continues, of my own pride. Like I want myself, I want self to be promoted. I want myself to become greater than the rest. And I love the root word means to supplant. Whose name in the Bible means supplanter? Jacob. Yeah, Jacob. 
Jacob. Here is Jeremiah. He is using this word, deceitfulness, and he is speaking to the Jewish people saying, and he's using this word, the condition of their heart, to relate it back to their father, Jacob. And if you read Jacob's story, what is happening over and over again? He is deceitful. (laughs) Over and over and over and over and over again. What is he trying to do? It is, this is amazing. Listen to this, if I have it here. Yeah, I don't know if, it, if it's here. But the idea here is that what was Jacob doing is that he was supplanting, he was deceiving God. Why? To get God's blessing. Remember what he did to his father? Deceived him. Tried doing it again, and he got the wrong wife, right? (laughs) Then does it again, and then does it again, and then does it again, and then does it again. He continues to deceive. Why? To put himself in a good place. You know, the point, the reason why I say this is like this is the condition of our hearts. We are so concerned about where we are placed that we will deceive anything and everybody to get us to be in a better place. We want to just get one up. We want to get a step closer to success. We want to be acknowledged. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. We want that, that, uh, you know, that promotion at work. We, like there is something in our hearts, and God is saying, this is your condition towards me. And Jeremiah, in these passages, is pointing out the two things about our hearts. Number one, we saw in 17.5, is that we should not be trusting in others, right? Why? Well, we just read it, because others' hearts are so deceitful. <laughs> if I am putting my trust into somebody else, and I'm saying, I need, I need you, and we could look at Nahum, and say, hey, hey I'm going to trust in you, Syria. I'm going to trust in you, world, to fix my problems. Or how about the woman that uh, had the issue with blood? She said she spent all of her money with doctors. What was she doing? She was trusting in others. And that's not bad. I mean, if you need to go to the doctor, go to the doctor. That's not what I'm saying. Don't be ridiculous. But what I am saying is that the, the weightier matters of your hearts... Right? The weightier matters of your heart, you should not be putting that into the hands of this world. The things of value, the things of recognition, the things of importance, the things of, the, of your soul, the things of your spiritual condition, these kind of things, we should not be looking to the world because it is deceitful, it is wicked. And they do not care about your heart. They do not care about your growth. They do not care about these things. So we, not, we should not be putting our trust into others. And this is a theme. I mean, if you want to dive into that theme, you could follow that over and over. I mean, we talked about it in Isaiah 25 a couple Thursdays ago. I mean, over and over again. Uh, actually, no, that was this past Thursday. Isaiah 50, what was it? 31. Yeah, he almost forgot. He preached the message. You know, like trusting in, in horses and trusting in strength and trusting in this and trusting in that. And, you know, Jeremiah is saying that you should not put your hands into a place where you are expecting the world to bring you into a place where there is a favorable circumstance. You can't ask the world to do that. 
You can't. And the second thing that we find that is so hard, you know, and we can say, yeah, I understand that. That's why I'm here. That's why I pray. That's why. But do you know what? Like, I don't care. Like, your bills, I mean, these things that you, like, we all have things that we need God to do. And then so often we are like Sarah and Abraham and we just say, hey, Hagar is over there. Good enough, right? And God says, no, it's not good enough. Because what I have is so much greater and so much better for you. But you can't trust the world. And here's the other thing Jeremiah is saying, and we see that here in verse 9 very clearly, that our own hearts will deceive us. Our own hearts will deceive us. It's funny that even the wickedness in our hearts is trying to protect itself. You ever feel that happen in your own heart? Like the wickedness in your own heart is trying to protect itself. And you're trying to like be godly in your own heart. You know, it's like you're struggling in your own hearts. And that is why, very simply, that we cannot trust ourselves. You know, so we look at this and we say that these kinds of hearts, whether I trust somebody else or I trust myself, these things will not produce the treasure of God. It will not produce the fruit of God. It will not produce the growth in your life. And I'm, I'm thinking of that word treasure. That there are things that God has for us that will never be produced if we are continually relying on ourselves or relying on others. They are things that God wants us to realize. They are places that God... I mean, maybe one year we could shut our church down because we're all at Eurocon. You know, is that... I mean, it's crazy. Yeah, I understand. But you know what? I mean, where could God... The idea is like, where could God take us? What could God do? How could God use me? How could God heal me? What insight into his word could God give me? I mean, just start thinking about what God could do and stop asking yourself or the world to produce what God has stored up for you already. But as we have said in Luke chapter 8, if we could turn there. And we're just going to read one verse. We've been reading it now for a couple weeks. This is our last, I think, sermon, I believe. You know, God could change it on this topic. I've been thinking about Isaiah 59, talking about viper's eggs. Yeah. Anybody like snakes here? Yeah. We're going to get Pastor Ken Fires over here to preach that message. Yeah. <laughs> That's not too soon. That's like five years ago. We had a pot pastor's retreat, and uh, one of the pastors was going for a walk. You know, During this quiet time, all the pastors are out praying, and he got bit by a copperhead. <laughs> And we're all laughing at him just like this, you know. He still laughs about it, you know. But, uh, yeah, but I think we're going to be dying, diving into viper's eggs and, um, and uh, bitterness, like having a root of bitterness in our hearts, uh, because these things will destroy our heart. They will destroy our soul and take us away from God. But here in Luke chapter 8, got sidetracked. Luke chapter 8, verse 15, it says, But the ones that fell on good ground are those who have heard the word, let's look at this, with a noble and a good heart. <laughs> well, wait a minute. 
Jeremiah, and I look in other places in the Bible, and it tells me the condition of my heart. And if I am to expect spiritual growth, if I am to expect God's treasure, then those seeds, the things that God is giving me, the things that God is speaking, it has to fall. In. And, and, and Luke is using very strong verbiage here. He's, he's saying that it has to be noble and good. If you follow these like Greek words, it's kind of interesting. And sometimes it's not actually. But it actually means like it is a good and a good heart. I'm like, you know, Luke, what the heck are you trying to say? Like good and good. These are two Greek words that he is putting together and it means good. But the thing here is this is the only time this is used in the Bible. And the only time that's ever used is by Greek philosophers to describe the condition of a, of a person who is a noble now put in your mind this kind of a, a person who is in charge, they are dressed well, they are humble, but they have authority. And they kind of come in and their back is straight. You know, they're not, I'm not talking about like an arrogant boss, you know, who comes in and he's in charge. I'm talking about a good man who has authority, but yet is humble. And when he walks into the room, you can tell that he is in charge. I've been to churches, and I've been around men of God that are like that. I, I, you sense that there is a different spirit about them, that there is a different condition of their soul. And, and Luke is saying, like, that, that's right there is what Luke is trying to say. It is noble and is good. And for me to be one who receives the treasures of God, this has to be the condition of my heart. So what does this mean? I want to just kind of shout these Greek words at you. One is kalos, that is the first one, meaning uh, noble or honest, depends on your translation. And the other one is agathos, meaning very simply good. All right, these two words, I mean, you could do a deep dive into what they mean, but very simply they mean they, they are good. And you have to kind of look at the context of the verses to really get the treasure of them. And the first one, honest, what does it mean? It means that they are morally good, that it is good and proper. All right, morally good, good and proper. In the Septuagint, meaning in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, this word is used to describe what is opposed to evil. I like that. So very simply, we could look at this word, kalos. It is a word that is, that is morally good and is opposed to evil, and it means that it is fertile also. We see that in Matthew chapter 13, that it is, it is a fertile heart that is ready to be used by God. So very simply, we could put it in two words, that there, there is an excellency in quality. That your heart, there is something excellent in its quality. And I can say, well, my heart isn't like that. But just hold on. We're just, going to, we're just defining what these words mean, and then we'll kind of understand it a little bit better. Okay. The next word, good, or agathos, it means that it is inherently good. It is a good that it means that it is something that is profitable, it is useful, and it is benevolence. Okay. So both of them kind of have the same idea, right? There's like a little bit of the same, that it is useful, it is profitable, it is ready. But then this last one adds this idea that it is benevolence. 
So agathos refers to something that is good in its character or constitution and is beneficial in its effects, meaning that it is good not only for myself, but it is good for others. So here are the two words for good. One is speaking about the excellency in quality, and the other one is speaking of the excellency in spirits. All right? So how can, how can we understand that in, in a good way? Um, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm trying to think of non-carpentry illustrations, so bear with me. I'm a carpenter, so everything always comes out, you know, with construction. But you think about a car, like a car that is good quality and it's going to last a long time, right? Like you want to purchase that. But you also want to buy a car that is good quality, but also it looks good. Right? And that's why we have luxury, German luxury cars. Because they have both in one, right? You get into them and they are beautiful, but you know they're going to last a really long time. Right? That is the idea. It is good, and it is also good. And I was thinking about this, like from what, what Luke is saying, and I want to break it down into three different things really quick. Yeah, we've got time. We're good. Three different things. Right? What does it mean to be good and good or be honest and to be noble? Number one, it means that we cannot manipulate God. Right? So what does it mean to have a noble and good heart? It means that it is a heart that doesn't manipulate God. You ever try to do that with God? You ever treated God like a little genie in, in the bottle and you rub the lamp and you say, Hey, God, I need you. Yeah, you rub the lamp and you get three wishes. I was thinking about this verse, uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 7. And he says, when you pray, do not pray, uh, <laughs> I just mixed two words, I do that all the time. Do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard with their many words. So what, what is Matthew saying? They're saying that if I pray a lot, then I can manipulate God to hear me. If I use a lot of words and if I use eloquence, I am very poetic and I just keep doing this. And if I, you know, beat my chest and raise my hands towards heaven as the Pharisees would do, then I could move God into doing something that I need him to do. But do you know what? A good heart is a heart that doesn't manipulate God. I was thinking about it this way. Like sometimes we are like in this story, right? There is the Pharisee, then there is the publican, right? Who would beat his chest. And he was so broken by the condition of his heart that he couldn't even lift his head towards heaven. And, and Jesus says, who goes home righteous, right, in that story? And it wasn't the Pharisee who said, I'm happy that I'm not like him, but it was the one who recognized the own wickedness in his heart. You know, we, we cannot get into a place in our lives where we think that we can earn or manipulate God's will or God's grace or God's treasure. But we have to come from a place of brokenness where we see very quickly. And you know what? I mean, you guys are amazing and you guys have great gifts 
And I would say that we are in a room full of like, you know, Shadrach, Meshachs, and Abednegoes, and Daniels, and, and Deborahs. I mean, we are in a room full of mighty men and women of God. Yet at the same side, these people understood who they were inside of who, in, in God, right? They understood their own condition. So we cannot manipulate God. And number two, this is an interesting one. Speaking of these two words, good, you know, and as I was studying, I was telling, you know, Gary before church, like, I, I, I kind of wanted to avoid this point. But you can't. And number two is that it means that my heart is not polluted. My heart is not polluted. Have you ever, like, gone to a restaurant and ordered iced tea? And it tastes like they used hose water? That is the, <laughs> I remember going to the, you know, it might have been Pistaro's, actually. I'm not, I'm not going to be careful there. I remember recently somewhere in Frederick, I went and got lemonade or iced tea, and I was surprised at how terrible it tastes because it tasted like hose water, you know, and it was disgusting. What happened is the drink was tainted. It was polluted. And here is what I want to say. Is that word good? That means that there is a cer certain moral condition of my heart. And because of that condition, it allows me to hear the voice of God. Okay, so here's what happens when my heart is polluted by evil, when my heart is polluted by sin, what does it do? It filters the voice of God, so therefore I am no longer allowed to hear it. Right? I am not saying that morality is going to save you. We're talking about moral lights on Thursday. I am not talking about any of that. But I am saying that very simply, that if there is sin in your life, if there is evil in your life, that it could hinder the way you hear the voice of God. And God is speaking to you, and God is speaking to you, but you are so tripped up on what is going on in your own life, in your own little uh, sin that you are using to sublimate in your walk with God to make up for the things that God hasn't done. You are sublimating with something the world is giving and you just cannot get a breakthrough. Here, here's extreme cases. Believers, I know that they are believers, yet they have addiction problems. Young guy for a long time, he had a heroin problem and was smoking weed. And it was an addiction. And he knew the Bible. He loved the Lord. Yet he could not get over his addiction. Why? <laughs> Why? I don't, it's a mystery, honestly. The mystery of iniquity. The mystery of sin. It's a mystery. But that addiction and that sin hindered him from receiving the treasure that God had for him. And he wasn't able to bear fruit. And that is why the Bible often tells us, and that's why when we take communion, we go to him and we confess our sin. It's not like this kind of beating ourselves, you know, or we heard this morning in Baltimore, you know, like Martin Luther would have to go up the stairs when there's glass all over the ground and, and pay in penance. It is not like that. We're not paying for our sin. God is not asking. God is saying, allow me. Now listen, listen closely. He says, I mean, you know, we read it in Ezekiel 36, 26. I have given you a new heart. I have given you something. I, use it. 
I have forgiven you. Function in forgiveness. I have redeemed you. Practice redemption. I have, you know, you could go on and on into these things that we call positional truth, but if we do not function in these things and we don't practice these things, what what are we doing? We are allowing our hearts to be polluted so we do not receive the things that God has for us to receive. And the last thing that this, you know, this idea of having a noble and good heart means And I think we could talk, there could be more points about this. I mean, honestly, and maybe some of you guys have some great ideas and tell me, you know, or tell somebody and talk about them because this is a great discussion. But the last thing this, this idea of a good heart points to is that we have to be humble. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 66. Starting in verse 1, thus says the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you have built me and where is the place of my rest? It's an interesting question, huh? I like it. Verse 2, for all those things my hands have made. (laughs) You know, you are building something with your hands for a house for me. You know, you think about a church building. Can this contain the presence of God? The answer is no. All those things that you use and all those things exist, says the Lord. But one thing I will look. This is what God is looking for. He says, on him who is poor. That word poor isn't like he, is miss, he doesn't have money. That word poor doesn't mean that he, his car is beat up. That word poor means humble. I am looking for the humble and contrite spirit or contrite heart and who trembles or he who fears my word. What is God, when we're talking about the treasures that God wants to bestow upon us, what is God looking for? And I think we could wrap up all the points that we could come up with and it could be put under one thing that we need to have a humble heart. And if we are humble in our hearts, then we are able to receive the things that God has said. What does humility say? What does a humble heart say? What's that? It says yes. Yeah, that's a good way. It says yes. Yes to what? Everything. (laughs) When God says you're wicked, what do you say? Yes. When God says you're a child of God and you're amazing, what do you say? Yes. Yeah. I mean... My dad makes a joke, you know, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. And I think he actually had a t-shirt like that for a long time that he would wear. And we would always laugh at him. You know, but thinking about humility, it's the ability that I have to understand my condition without God. Right, that is humility. But also understand my condition with God. That's what humility is. I can say without a guilty conscience that I am Jeremiah 17.9, that I am deceitful. You better watch out, guys, because I'm deceitful. (laughs) I'm wicked. 
I, I can say that, and I'm, I don't even feel, I can laugh about it. Look at me, I'm laughing. I can laugh about it because it is like I'm, I'm not guilty because I understand without God, that is my condition. Yes, God, that is me. But yet, at the same time, I understand that I have a new heart. I have a new man. I put on that robe of righteousness. I put on the armor of God. I know that I am adopted by God. I know that I am a child. I know that I am a priest. I know these things. Why? Because God has said and God has made me. So I say yes. That's what the Apostle Paul did, right? He says that I am the least of the apostles. And he begins to divulge all the sins that he has committed as a Pharisee, as a persecutor of the church. I am the least. And yet he has the audacity to say that you must believe in my gospel. Not meaning that you have to believe my version of the gospel, but he is saying it this way, that I have taken this word and I have digested it in my soul. I have lived by it and it has become mine. This is mine. This word of God has been given to me and has changed my life. And I want you to believe my gospel that I believe. Oh, that's pride. No, it's not. That is humility because he understands what God has given him and what God has made him. And that's what we need to have as believers in, in this church, in greater grace, are we people who can live with ourselves in this sense? Can we live with ourselves? Meaning with our deceitfulness, with our wickedness? Can we live with that? And sometimes that wickedness is so wretched, isn't it? You're sitting in your bed, you know, you're all of a sudden you're growing devil horns. You know, that's how wicked and desperate you are. And you're having all these evil thoughts, and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I thought that about, you know, Kevin. I'm saying that because I never think bad things about Kevin. <laughs> you know, I can't believe I thought that about, you know, you know Pete. I, I couldn't believe, you know, and you're thinking, oh my God, where did that come from? Like, I can learn to live with my wickedness because of the greatness of God. Right? And what are you going to find? is you're going to find that seed gets planted in your heart and it grows and it grows and it grows. And how does the verse continue in Luke chapter 8, verse 15? It says they keep it and they bear fruit with patience. You know, some of us think that we could, like Naaman, go ahead and jump in a dirty river and God could heal us, and maybe he could. But do you know what? Our deceitfulness and our wickedness sometimes takes a lot of patience to deal with, doesn't it? That means that there doesn't have to be immediate change in my heart for there to be growth. It very simply means that I have this kind of a heart that allows God's word to come in and then with patience, I find myself changing. And I'm so excited, guys, you know. I, I really am. You know, seeing last weekend, yesterday soul winning, and just seeing what God was doing, you know, talking to people and, and just investing in their lives and discipling people and, and sharing forgiveness with people. I'm excited to see what's going to happen in our lives in this church. Like in your life, I'm excited about you. 
and where God is going to take you. Because, you know, here's the thing in church planting. I've said this before. I want to keep reminding you because we're still church planting, guys. Don't get discouraged. Don't get frustrated. It takes five years to build a church. And after five years, you have a team that builds your church. Look around you guys. Look around. It hasn't been five years. You know, in China, the people that I, ha- that I was there with after the five years, they are so dear to me. And I think about them all the time. And I, I, I see pictures of them, and you know, some of them are getting married and having children now. And I weep out of joy and to see how God has blessed them. And that now that some of them are pastors, some of them are missionaries, and some of them actually are probably at Eurocon this weekend or next week, whatever. You know, I'm, I'm blessed. You know, that is like how I feel about you guys. And that's what's going to be said in five years. We're just going to be like, this is amazing, guys. And we're going to be like talking, like having these fun little stories. And somebody's going to be coming along like, what are you guys talking about? You know? And, we'll be, and only a few of us will know. Kind of like Stephen yesterday talking to Jordan. Oh, you weren't there for that. You were, you, were you there? Yeah, you were there. No, you were. Yes, you were. Yeah. We talked we talk to a guy, we talk, I talked to him a year ago about Jesus, and I saw him at the park. And it was like we're old friends again, you know? And we were just like catching up and talking, and Stephen's like, what's going on right now? And he felt like an outsider. That's the same thing that's going to happen with us. When God, you know, blesses us, and I, whatever that means, I don't care. But when God blesses us, mm-hmm. we're going to have that kind of story. But do you know what? That, that happens only as we grow with God. So do not let, and this is what we're going to talk about, do not let bitterness come into your heart. Don't let viper's eggs and the devil to plant little lies inside of your soul to take you out in five years. Because do you know what's going to happen? If you hang out long enough, you're going to see some amazing things here. If you, we've already seen them, but you're going to, you're, we're going to see them. You know, I mean, meeting Gary and Nicole on the streets, you know, two, I mean, that was three years ago now, right? Three years ago, two years ago, meeting them on the streets and amazing. And to see, you know, what's happening with Captain Ron and Samantha and Doug and these people, you know, God is doing a work and that work is trickling. And you guys are a part of that. Amen. So just in closing, the last, I, oh, I went long. You know, I just want you to think about this. And I don't want to beat you up, but I want you to have, like, have good soil have good soil. So what can we say? Don't try to use God as a genie, right? Go to him often, not when you're in trouble. That's what that means, all right? Do you know what? And then don't ignore sin in your life. I want to say this carefully. We're okay if there's sin in your life. And I say that because we're all sinners, right? Like it's not going to be eradicated, you know, but don't allow that don't, don't be okay with it. Don't let sin be in your life. You're like, eh, God will take care of it someday. No, don't be in a place where you are allowing that devil, that demon to be in your life. Don't be okay with it. And last but not least, and most important actually, is to say yes to God. Be humble. Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this day. Thank you for everybody who's here. We're praying for uh, Andrew uh, and Jonathan, and, and uh, we're praying for Sivo uh, on a plane right now, getting, you know, tomorrow, going to Eurocon. Just give them 
uh, our word in season, give them great time and fellowship with our friends there. And uh, yeah, and yeah, actually, we pray for Andrew's mom, you know, Susie, who's there. Is she there? Yeah, she's going to be there. Yeah, so just send her love for us. We just thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.